This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. We're going to redeem the time. Brethren, sisters, we're going to redeem. Remember Brother Thacker used to say that at the conference? Redeeming the time. Okay. Ready? Okay. You weren't recording that, were you? <laughs> Start over. All right. Okay, everybody, let's bring it in into our next... Chapter 13 focused on, really focused on application. Where do we go from here in application? Now, if you're here tonight and you're saying to yourself, you're saying to, my, to me, whomever, I'm, I'm kind of new in my walk with Christ and this is, this is all new for me, so this doesn't apply to me, I'm going to stop you right there. This, apply, this could be day zero. You could be a ground zero, fresh starting new in your relationship with Christ and this applies to you, because when you have a genuine, authentic interaction with God, that's a part of your story and your testimony. And there are people that are connected to you that have not had that experience, and they need to hear and know for themselves. You don't have to bring somebody from start to finish and everything like that. We're going to talk about some principles here tonight. But what I want to tell you is you could be at the very beginning, in the beginning stages, and this still applies to you. You could be uh, 50, 60 years into this. It still applies to you. It applies to everybody universally because we are all followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So but where this really comes down to is application. And that's one of the things that we often can struggle with because we can talk about inspiration and I can inspire lots of things and speak in such a way, and, and we can become professionals at inspiration. But what about the actual tangible application? Um, so with that tonight, uh, one of the things we're going to do is talk about some of these things that were prevalent in the chapters, in this chapter that we read, but also in, um, I think that is, that is biblically based as well. First one is this, um, we've been talking about this throughout the entire book, is programs versus disciple-making. And let me tell you, as we understand, many, many churches can go the way of being program-based and program-focused. And while that's fine to have systems, I'll change the language a little bit, it's fine to have systems in place, and it, it's difficult for, for God to kind of guide us if we don't have some, put some sort of work into it, based on some of the principles that we're going to read um, I'll just give an example. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. If you don't plant anything, if you don't have a system for planting, you will not get a harvest. So systems are not bad, but when we try to program the kingdom and program God and tell him this is how we want things to operate, we fall short. We can even experience our definition of success and still fall woefully short. And it's not success in the kingdom. 
much, this is even part of the scriptural thing that I wanted to talk about here tonight, but much of the success in modern Christianity has to do with numbers. Now, numbers are fine because they're a measure of something. The, The scripture is full of numbers and measuring things, and that's fine. But one of the things I want to point out to us is numbers are not the be-all, end-all of a definition of success in the kingdom of God. Many will come to me in that day, Jesus said, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, have we not prophesied and cast out demons and done many miracles in your name? And he said, yeah, but I never knew you. We could come up with a list of all the things that we've done and, and keep track and keep record of all those things that we've done in his name, but unless you know him, that's the measure of success is a life that knows Jesus Christ. So, to that point, I want to deliver some scriptural principles here tonight that I think are important for us to take away. First one is this, is the biblical principle of the law of harvest and the law of seasons. If you have your Bible, um, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. I want to sound official, you know. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1, says, same day Jesus went out, out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes uh, were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, A sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because there was no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. That would be the cares of this world. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some, now here, this is a powerful principle. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think it's so profound that Jesus concludes that parable saying, if you really, pay, if you really have ears to hear and are paying attention, pay attention to this parable. This matters. This is important. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most important things in your personal life and also in the life of disciple-making that you have to hold on to. And that is the principle of harvest, the principle of different soils that we find. Quickly, there are seven principles uh, that, that... can be found in the notion of a harvest, and that is, number one, you will reap what you sow. Galatians 6, I have on here 7 through 10, but uh, just for time's sake, for he who, uh, verse number 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows in his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, He who sows of the Spirit, capital S, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. 
Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due, what's that next word? For in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart or if you faint not. The principle here that we find is you will reap what you sow. You cannot expect to reap a spiritual harvest if you sow a fleshly seed or a humanistic seed. Let me put it, bring it down this way. If we sow the things that appeal to the flesh, if we advertise as a body or as a person the things that appeal to the flesh, we can never expect to reap a spiritual harvest. There was a church that I was a part of for a couple of years, and I was assisting there, and one of the things that we had encountered there was that there were a lot of people that got baptized, but there weren't a lot of people that were getting the Holy Ghost. And so the pastor brought in some evangelists that were great at that. I don't know what that is. That's what they were great at. So, so that happened, and the results were the same. And so we talked about it. We said, well, I don't really understand what's going on. And so what we felt led ultimately to do was to change the narrative, and instead of praying for the Holy Ghost, pray God make us holy. Like, help us to be holy people, and for this to be a place where you want to dwell. And when we started to invest in holy things, in, in spiritual things, all of a sudden, people were receiving the Holy Ghost without us even praying for them to receive the gift because it was a preparation of the soil of their heart. You will, you will get a harvest from what you put into it. And what I love about the scripture in Galatians is it says, it's mockery to God to think that you won't reap a harvest. And that, that, that sword cuts both ways. It's mockery to God to think that we can sow in the flesh and that we won't reap corruption. Okay, we understand that. So you will reap corruption if you sow in the flesh. But it's also mockery to God to think, I'll sow in the spirit, but I'll never have any spiritual harvest. God's not mocked. If you sow in the spirit, you will reap a spiritual harvest in due season. In this picture here, we have, I, I, I was really glad to find this picture. It's so cool. It has this Old country church with four seasons around it. And to understand that in many ways, this is, this is a scriptural principle I think is vital for you to take in your life. Is that not only is it the type of soil that you're planting in, the four different types that we read here, but it's also the season that you're working in. And you don't plant seeds in the winter, unless it's winter wheat, that's not how winter wheat, well, anyway, I'm not even going to go <laughs> You plant in the appropriate season. You plant when the seeds, and, and during, during the right seasons, you'll see, the, you'll see it tra- uh, progress. Yes, Brother Eaton. Yeah, you planted winter wheat in the fall. But you did not plant winter wheat in the winter. Nobody's plowing up that ground in the winter. You go plow up that ground in the winter and see, and people, you'll, get, you'll make the front page of the paper probably. For whatever good that's worth. Anyway. 
The lock. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the law of the harvest also says that not every seed that you sow or that you throw out there is going to be received. I was just talking with somebody as we were going around these tables, and the, 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 the thing was posed of like, well, I've tried to talk to somebody, and all I keep getting is a closed door. I keep Hey, just a real quick testimony, man, and I, I really like um, um, just talking about what God is doing. And so um, my wife, or just my friend Nicole, everybody knows Nicole, but um, <laughs> my, my wife, Jennifer, um, I've, I've spoke about her on number, numerous occasions um, and just been praying for her to, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to come in for the word to come into fruition in her life. And tonight she said, um, this is tonight. She said, Lee, I was, just, I was just praying about you. I was talking to God about you and about, you know what I'm saying, her dealing with my past, her dealing with my past and, and forgiveness with my past and everything. And she said, she said, God, he said, this, she, she asked God to lead her in scripture. And so he, he led her to something about her, about herself, to, to, um, 
to her. She said, Lee, I get it now. She said, I get it. He said, the way that God deals with, with me is the way God is dealing with you. And, and she was no longer accusatory and, and, and making me feel, you know what I'm saying, bad about the things that I done did and my infidelity and my, you know what I'm saying, my, my waywardness. And, and uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll be seeing her here in church pretty soon. I'll do. I'll just use this. That's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. It takes time. It takes patience. But trust the Lord of the harvest. Because seasons, it also has to be the right season in somebody's life. Understanding this, I don't think we fully even understand seasons in our own lives personally. I don't think we all. We sometimes we get a directive and we feel like God's leading us and guiding us and telling us some things and working us through some things, but understanding that he works with us in seasons. And sometimes it's important for you to take a step back and to say, what season of life are you in? You might be in a winter. So what do you do in winter? Well, bless God, I got to go out there and work the fields. No, you don't. No. You know what farmers do in winter? They take care of their equipment. They fix everything to make sure that it's ready for the next year. They get it all, they take it all apart. They get it all greased and oiled up. They give it a nice, you know, nice, nice new uh, um, parts if they need it and get it all put back together ready for the next season. That's what you do in the winter is you take care of what's going on in here. And sometimes we get so driven or we feel so obligated by whatever we want to call it, by, by culture, to do, to do uh, the work in the, in the field when we actually need to be working on what's going on in here. If you're relatively new to greater life, we don't just say, oh, you're new. Thanks for joining us. Let's put you to work, you know, in, in, in doing something around in the, in the church or something like that. Although there's plenty of things to do. We're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> don't worry about it. But the, the, the bigger picture is this, is we're more concerned with what's going on in your heart then what can you do for us? Like, stop that. We don't, we don't, we don't, I'll be honest with you, if, if you're, again, if you're relatively new here, I'll be honest with you, we don't spend a lot of time talking about, a ton about money and finances. Number one, it's been so abused within Christianity, we just, I, like, like, look, look, God, God will deal with you on that. God will deal with you on that. I don't need to, we don't need to hear me harping on that. But here's the other thing is that I'm not interested in your bank account. I'm interested in your soul. I'm not worried about all of those things. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like, he doesn't own just a thousand hills, and it's not like one cow per hill. (laughs) He has so many cattle, and that's so much riches, I'm not worried about it. I mean, yeah, there are principles, but here's the thing. What season are you in? 
And if God has you in a winter, and we sometimes in Minnesota we get the wrong idea about winter. You know, we think winter is just like the worst season of the year. No, you know what? Sometimes winter is just a season where you you shut some things down and you just work on what's going on in here. But when winter is done, it's not time to sit back. There was a king who did just that. Scripture says of a man named David, who after winter was done and it was spring and it was the time when kings went out to war, David said, well, I'm just going to sit back and take it easy. And he got himself into trouble. So when it's time to work, it's time to work. And you're either working on here or you're working out there. Can I tell you, when you're working out there, it also works on (laughs) what's going on in here. So true. Anyway, all right, let's keep rolling. For some people that you're working with, it may take a lifetime or an extended period of time, but the next person, it might not be the case. We have to consider what we're, the field that we're working at and where a person is at in their own personal lives. It's also important to note that discipleship continues after conversion. After somebody's been baptized in Jesus' name and they've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, sometimes you just high-five, here's your certificate, time to go. It's like, no, 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 no. It takes, it takes a life. We're, we're constantly at work. And if, if you're here tonight, take it from the person behind this little music stand. I am constantly at work. The ministry, just because somebody stands with a microphone or behind a piano doesn't mean that, oh, their discipleship days are over. No, no, no. We're always, always, always working until Christ is completely formed in us. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3. Someone was saying that we've heard this alluded to, so I'll mention this. First Corinthians 3 and 6. I planted, this is Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, who is the Lord of the harvest, he gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything. So I'm not anything. Neither he who waters. He's saying Apollos isn't anything. The people, like, our names aren't important. There's only one name that's important, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. But God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own Labor. Seasons and harvest principles. The next one is this, and this might not come as much as a much as a much of a surprise, but it is pray the Lord of the harvest. What are we going to ask him for? To send laborers into his harvest. In Matthew chapter 8, these are the last verses in Matthew chapter 8. And I'll, I'll read them just so we have an understanding of what these all say, so we're all together. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Wow, that's great. We say, great, great job, Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes... 
He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, or because of this, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. These are the final verses of that chapter. Understanding these events are what happened leading up to these things. And this is just in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, a leper is cleansed. A centurion's servant is healed. Peter's mother-in-law is healed. I have a note written in my Bible that says, the miracle of mixed feelings. It's it's just a joke. (laughs) I thought that'd be a clever message for a title, you know, title for a message one day, but anyway, then I thought again. Um, (laughs) Many Many were healed in the evening. He goes over the cost of discipleship. You know what he says about the cost of discipleship? That's not going to cost you anything. It's really cheap. And it's really a lot of fun. And you're just going to enjoy it the whole way. And it's going to be great and super easy. It's not Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't give us the wrong understanding of it. Why would we do that? Why would we, why would we say, hey, come on and join along the ride. It's going to be great. And everything's going to be peachy and smooth. And your life's just going to turn around. And everything's going to be perfect. Well, no. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But I promise you, you won't be alone in it. I promise you it will be fulfilling. I promise you it's the healthiest and wisest thing that you can do. As difficult and as challenging as as much as it might cost you, understanding this, that if anyone wants to save his own life, he'll, he'll he'll give it all up. Because when you put your life into Jesus' hands, he can do so much more with it than what you could do with it. And if you think that's not the case, like, how's it going? <laughs> not great. How does, how does it go for us when we try it on our own? Not great. Not even good. Maybe for a season things go all right, as they probably will. But when you put your life completely in Jesus' hands, yeah, there are, it's, it's tough sometimes because people don't understand. Yeah, it's tough sometimes because there are some boundaries that you have to make and some changes you have to make in your life to follow Jesus. But when you do it, you will find it. You'll find your life when you surrender it to him. So he he talks about this. He talks about natural, and then after this, there's natural opposition. We talked about... um, I talked about here tonight about, the, about how when you are advancing and when you're moving forward in the kingdom of God, there's going to be opposition that we face. And we talked about in, in, the, in this uh, specific context of greater life that there are a lot of people that are sick and very sick, a lot of, a lot of opposition. I want to I share with you this story. Of, this is also found, this story is also found in the Gospel of Mark in chapter number, chapters essentially three, four, and five, but especially four and five. And this chapter, the the, the the version of it in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is crossing the sea to go deliver one man who is filled with a legion of demons. He's going into a a Gentile town 
and this is just me, so take this as just me tonight, okay? I believe that he crossed that sea because he could hear that man's screams across the sea. And his screams, his screams of torment beckoned him. He took, he took one step. He, he, he said, I'm leaving all these Jewish towns anyway. I'm not even going to get into that tonight. I'm gonna, I got myself on a little tangent there. But whatever, whatever the case is, he left all of these towns. He left his mission, and he crossed this sea to deliver this one man. And he rebuked the demons that were in this, in this man and, and cast them out. Okay. But if you back up to Mark chapters 2 and 3, you will read about how many were brought to him that were sick and possessed. And the Bible says that he rebuked the demons out of the people that were possessed. Okay, so we see that as a very spiritual thing that takes place. It's awesome. I mean, it is. It really is. People were healed. It's great. We're all high-fiving and everyone's happy. You fast forward to Mark chapter 4, and the, Jesus and the disciples are sailing across the, the sea, the Sea of Gennesaret, to go find this man. And what happens is, is a storm arises. Everyone remember this? This happens a couple times, but this is the first time the storm arises. And the disciples are understandably scared. They're scared out of their minds. So they wake Jesus up, and they say, you have to help us. And what I find is so intriguing about this is that Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, which is so interesting, like, Coming to Jesus and begging him for a rescue, he was saying, you're, you're, you have little faith. What, what I take from that is, why don't you just trust him? Why don't you just trust him and see how he'll lead you through something? Sometimes when the pressure mounts, we ask for a way out. Why don't you just trust him and watch how he'll lead you through it? Regardless. Then the scripture tells us that he speaks to the weather. It doesn't just speak to it. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And in the Greek, that word rebuke is the same word that's used for when he rebuked demons. Now, you can read into that however you want. All I know is that when you are on a mission, you're going to receive and face opposition. And the opposition, even if it's in the natural... And the opposition that we don't need to do is to fight with our natural abilities. So then what happens after this is that there are two demon-possessed that were delivered. And this is Matthew's account, two demon-possessed that were delivered. And then Jesus goes throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the kingdom of God, healing every sickness and disease among the people. And that's when Jesus makes this statement at the end of that chapter saying, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers into his harvest. If you read, if you read the book, even if you didn't, that's fine. But if, if we're reading this book and we're looking at some of the practical application, which is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, is this chapter and practical application you're going to see things, and you're going to pick things up, and maybe you have been throughout the series about things that need to be done or things that could be done. You're going to see things in a very specific way, and I mentioned this in a life group not too long ago, so if you're hearing that, this, this is also a carryover from that, but it's a similar principle, that there are things that you're going to see that other people don't see. Sister Jean Parker, you're going to see some things that other people don't see. 
<laughs> like, I know. <laughs> okay, right. But, but not, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Brother, Brother Ellingheisen, you're going to see things that other people don't see. Brother Wilson, you're going to see things that other people don't see. And I could go around, 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 around. You're going to see things that other people don't see. And then the question is, well, why don't we do something about it? <laughs> so if, if Brother Ellingheisen sees something that is important to him, that resonates deeply with him that I don't see, should I be the one that's doing it? Probably not, because I don't even see the problem. I'm like, that's not even a problem. That's, that's, probably, that's low on the priority list. That's not a, but it's a big deal to him. You see something in somebody's life and, and you see something in the kingdom of God that you say, this needs to be done. Why isn't, something, why isn't somebody doing something about it? That's the answer. You're the one that God wants to do something through. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got excited about that one. So we're going to talk about this chapter in this book. I want to kind of open this up to what some of your thoughts were. But as we're saying this, I want us to keep, in, keep this in our minds. Laborers into the harvest. Laborers, laborers, laborers into the harvest. So with that in mind, I want to open up this, this discussion just for a little bit here tonight, uh, the book discussion. What were some of the takeaways that you found either from your table discussion or from this chapter that really jumped out to you here tonight? Make this easier. Brother Collins, can you? Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, he's, he was kind of volunteered more or less to run the microphone around. So one of the overarching themes um, that's been discussed in the book before has been the concept of um, the there you are versus the here I am. And on page 171, it's talking about um, that second paragraph where it says, Unfortunately, a great percentage of the ministry of the average congregation is maintenance-focused rather than discipleship-focused. I would venture a guess that 90% of the average church budget, calendar, human resources, and ministry efforts are dedicated to taking the water to the sea while precious little goes to the desert. However, Jesus called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquariums. And that's something just you know, really spoke to me when, when reading that as far as, you know, a lot of our efforts when we come on Sunday is, is still, you know, what can I get fed? What can I consume? Um, versus that celebration of, you know, what we're doing the other six days of the week. Um, so just kind of keeping that in the mindset of even on Sundays, it's more often that we need to give than, than to receive and you know, seek those people out there you are versus here I am. Amen. Excellent. Anybody else? Right behind you, I think I saw someone's hand. Just, uh, just a note that um, last week when the youth came in here, that really touched me. I don't know if it, it's something, but that brought it home. That brought the application home. I need to be doing more and and something that is relevant to what we were talking about and a church culture 
being a discipleship uh, making church. I need to get off my, and I need to keep getting, I need to take an active, active role. Amen. All right. Thank you, Brother Langer. Anybody else? Anybody else here tonight? We're talking about the book discussion. Up here, up front. I just think going off what, it was in this chapter, but going off what Brother Colin said about Sundays, um, he talked about Sundays being a time to celebrate what you have done throughout the week with your discipling instead of viewing Sunday as like the work day, as the time where you're, who can I minister to or who can I fill in the blank? What can I get? Can go either way of viewing that as a time of gathering together and like seeing all the new disciples and viewing that more of a celebration time to all be together like with momentum instead of being Sunday as your day to like get inspiration if you would to start your week it would be your momentum to push through does that make sense I kind of, that's kind of what I took away from how he talked about the Sundays being more of a celebration time instead of like a feeding frenzy That's good. That's good. And what that requires, so I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. What that requires is it requires a culture shift. A culture shift. That the culture of the church is one not of consumerism. And so we have to be counterculture to the world because the world is all about consumer. Consume, consume, consume. But the church is counterculture. It's not about what it is for me. It's about what it is for one another and what we're giving, collectively giving to God. Amen. Anybody else on some of this chapter here tonight? I know we're all, all excited. All right. Okay, thank you. Sister Goodman here. One of the things that... Um, I think we're still possibly kind of struggling with, and it's just part of, you know, coming out of a, it's, it's this paradigm shift coming out of a different way of thinking. I think we're, we're catching on. Obviously, we know that, that things have shifted and we want to shift, but one thing that just stood out to me is um, when he mentioned how um, sometimes we can be so out of touch, especially if we've been in the church any length of time, to where... You know, we only focus on the spiritual aspect, and obviously that, that's what we're doing by putting out the seed. But, and I have personally experienced that many times where you, you, you find somebody so broken and so, you know, they don't have really the basic, he, he says, they don't even have a basic life skill. So, yeah, that's great to tell them the truth. Maybe they can't even process that because they don't even know how to you know, deal with basic life skills that we take for granted. And so I think sometimes we're still a little out of touch when it comes to that. And it's kind of that whole concept of, oh, they got the Holy Ghost. You know, they've been baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. And, and 
that's great and it, it obviously opens your eyes, but it doesn't mean I know how to ha have a budget now, I know how to have a job application or even how to hold a job or how to, you know, he, he, he talks about just really the basic things of life. I mean, look at families today, you know, and quite frankly, and, and you know this from your, from your um, training, you know, job background that if you've not been raised in a nuclear family and you don't know some of those things, they don't just happen just because you get the Holy Ghost. You, you know, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It's not like, boom, you know, now you're just this whole person. So I think that part, it, I feel very, very challenged by that. Because, and we've all done that. You know, we frustrate ourselves because then you've invested so much into this person. And in a way, it's because those are some of the basic things that... I'm not even sure if we've even addressed some of that or know how to, how to go about. That's so good. Are, are we catching that? That's so good. Like, no, really, that's really good. Because here's, here's, here's the, so why, I'll, I'll throw this back to us. Does that resonate with anybody else or is that just like, no, I don't really know. Yep, it does. Okay, yep, it does. Like the Holy Ghost, like just because you receive the Holy Ghost, it's like, oh, the spirit of truth. It will lead you and guide you to all truth. It's like, it doesn't just happen. Doesn't like doesn't just happen e even overnight or just by itself. That's why God chooses people. God has chosen people. I'll say this though: as people of God, we're still humans, and sometimes we don't want to get down in those places because we know it's going to take a lot of our time you will reap what you sow and we will never see a harvest unless we first die John 12, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much grain. If you are willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. That's not a very comfortable prayer. Especially if you knew the cost. Was that, that song, a song we used to sing? If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, take my feet. Like we want them to cut our hands and feet off and take them. <laughs> Bring them back at the end of day. <laughs> and just bless me. <laughs> right? <laughs> like we're loaning out. <laughs> we're loaning out members of our body for God to do something with it. Here, take my hands. It's like you're attached to your hand. 
so you got to go. It's like you can't be on your phone scrolling while your hand is, you know, showing someone the way. <laughs> right? Here, take my brain and my mouth and, and send that somewhere while I take a nap. Like, it doesn't work like that. So we prayed that prayer, and then we're frustrated when it doesn't happen because we failed to count the cost. Well, sure, when it, yeah. So here, here's, the, here's, here's counting the cost, where, where that comes from. Jesus said, which among you, when, uh, going, when building a tower, won't first count the cost? To make sure that once you get started, you'll actually have enough to see it through. We have to count the cost. If we say this, if we say this is what we want, then we have to count the cost. If if we don't want to pay that price, it's time to move on. Sister Tammy, did you have let's yeah, can we run that? Oh, one second, Sister Tammy. I have I have a thought, and that thought is that I like Brother Pastor Marchand, to get the microphone to you. <laughs> Please. No, I was just going to say, if we don't do the will of God, the cost is going to be greater, you know. Quite frankly, all, right? yeah, eventually you're going to stand, you're not going to stand in front of me. I'll be off to the side somewhere, like, oh. And the reward is so great when you are in the will of God and you're doing the will of God. That's where the riches are, you know, to be his hands and feet and to be in his presence. So true. So good. And, like, let's let's just be real for a second. The blessing of, of seeing people born into the kingdom is a beautiful thing. But, and Brother Felix Crowder mentioned this when he was here, that's just their entry. They're just through the door. So, are we willing, as a church culture, to say, we're going to get down in some of those low places with you? But here's the thing. You don't have to do this by yourself. And we got to work together. This is a whole body. Let's work together. Because where Brother Ellingheisen might see some things that I don't see, likewise, I might see some things that he doesn't see. But what if we could link together? And we could go into this journey together. And then one person doesn't have to do it on their own. Okay. What's that? Four eyes are better than two. When you walk alone and you fall, who's going to help you up? Nobody. But if you're linked together, if two go together, the other can help the other. And a three-fold cord is, is not easily, it's hard to break that. We have to get past this idea 
that we got to do it on our own. We have to get past the idea that you go do your thing and I'll pick it up on the other end. We are co-laborers in this field. We have to work together. Because there's a beauty and a strength in working together. Amen. Last thing I want to add, I know the the time is getting to us, so we're going to wrap this up here tonight. Last thing I want to add is this. There There was a question that was asked in the, or something that was posed in, just on a very practical level, a question that was posed in this writing that I thought was just so beautiful that I want to take away. This is something we've mentioned to the ministry team also, and I'm, I'm, I'm kicking it down for, you know, for the rest of us, for all of us here tonight, is this. Is that when we do gather together, as a church, when we do gather together, um, the pastorate, if you, whoever you want to call it, ministry doesn't ma- even matter, can't meet all the needs. The body ministers to the body. And you're sitting here going, well, I don't know what to say to anybody. Number one, I would encourage you to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you how many times I've come up to pray for somebody. The Lord says, go pray for that person. I'll go and pray for them. And I don't know what I'm going to pray. Like, I don't have, like, this, this bird hasn't come down and, and, and delivered a scroll, and I ate it, and then had all this insight. Like, that never happened to me. Not, <laughs> but when you follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, he'll give you the words to say. But a very simple and practical thing that, that I really like to draw from this book is this question that they ask. If God was to do a miracle in your life, what would it be? If you don't know, you've got anything else to say, just ask that question. If God was to do a miracle in your life today, what would it be? Get to the hardest of things. Last thing I want to share tonight is this. From a practical standpoint, and from the needs that we see, practical solutions require passionate people. If you're not passionate about it, I don't want you doing it. If you're doing it for some, some fulfillment of an obligation, stop doing it. <laughs> stop working in the winter when you should be working on what's in here, okay? If, you, if you're just pursuing something because that's, the, that's what's in vogue in the UPC at this time, stop, stop. We're not doing that. But to that point, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Not on a superficial level, on a kingdom level. What What would wake you up in the morning and get you going on your day? What are you passionate about? And and how do we turn that into a practical practical ministry? I really love what Brother Gleason said in this book, and he he talks about how every ministry can have a disciple-making component. If you're an usher, 
you can be a disciple maker. If you if you work on the sound, you can be a disciple maker. Disciple making is complementary to every ministry and every department. And if you are a disciple, you can make a disciple. Amen. Let's stand together here tonight. I just want us to close in prayer. And in doing so, Jesus said, Jesus said these words as he was concluding the parable of the sower. He said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, pay really close attention to this. What I'm going to ask us to do tonight is pray for our eyes and our ears. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to see what you want me to see. Change what I see. Change what I'm hearing. And help me to align it with you. In Jesus' name. Can we just pray this tonight? Lord Jesus, we want nothing else but your will to be done and your kingdom to come. Lord, we are praying tonight as a body of believers that you would use us and have your way with us. So God, I pray over our eyes today, Lord, that we would see the things that you want us to see. Lord, help us to not focus and put too much emphasis on the wrong things. Help us to not see things, Lord, with our own eyes or our own vision, with our own understanding. But help us to see things the way that you see them, O oh Lord. Help us to have your vision and your insight, Lord. So this is more than just our way or our own um, abilities, but it goes beyond that. Give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to hear as well what you are saying and what you're telling us, Lord, beyond just our natural hearing into our hearts, O oh Lord. Help us to perceive it with our hearts and to discern what you're speaking to us in this season and the change of this culture. Help us, Lord, to die to ourselves, O oh Lord, so that we can bring forth much fruit in our lives and in this time, Lord. We pray that you would send forth laborers into the harvest and as laborers that we would hear your voice as you send us into your harvest. You are the Lord of the harvest. We are, Lord, ready and waiting and anxious to hear what you would have us to do. We are, Lord, we are yours. We are yours. We're yours. Holy and completely yours today, Jesus. We are surrendered completely to you. We thank you, God. Send us where we should go. Guide us along the way. Give us your plan today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen in Jesus' name. In, amen, amen, amen in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen. God bless you tonight. Please be dismissed in Jesus' name. God bless. We'll see you on Sunday.